Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Today's sermon text will be in the book of Esther, and today we'll be considering all of chapter 4. So today's sermon text will be Esther chapter 4. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, Gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of the Lord. So as we continue our series of messages 
In the book of Esther, I remind you that the people of God, many of them are in the land of Persia. They've had an opportunity to return to Persia, but some of them remain, such as Mordecai and Esther. Um, the time came that the king of Persia put away his wife, Vashti, and uh, out of the out of the kingdom were chosen uh, a number of the beautiful young virgins of the, of the kingdom. And from those, Esther was chosen. And the king was not aware that Esther was a Jew. But in our last, in our last uh, chapter, we saw that uh, one of the king's uh, right-hand men, the, what some refer to as the prime minister of Persia, Haman, um, came to realize that Mordecai was now bowing to him as has, had been commanded by the king. And he already had an obviously deep hatred. There had, he was an Agagite, an Amalekite, and the Jews and the Amalekites had a great enmity among, between one another. And so he sent, through the king's blessing, a decree throughout the entire kingdom that all of the Jews were to be put to death. He didn't tell the king that it was the Jews, in fact. So, so the king was unaware both that, that uh, he was putting to death the, the Jews on one day, uh, but also unaware that his own queen, Esther, was a Jew. And so we ended there in chapter, chapter 4. We entitled the series, The Unseen Providence of God. Because as we've seen that even though the name of God is not mentioned in the book of Esther, we obviously see the providence of God. And we've already looked at a number of ways we've seen that to be true, and we'll continue to see that in our text today here in chapter 4. And from this text today, we're going to bring a message we've entitled, How Do You Deal with a Devastating Crisis? Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have had to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. We know you promise to be with your people as we worship you. You promise even to manifest your presence. We thank you for that. We thank you that you continue to be with us in this time of worship as we look into the word of God and seek to glean its truth by the work and the direction of your spirit. We pray, Lord, you will enable us to do that this morning. Give us, Lord, again, the, the gift of, of illumination to understand your truth. We know you have done that by the work of your Spirit. We pray also you will use your word in each of our lives as believers to uh, apply this truth to our lives. We also pray today for those in our midst who are not believers that you would awaken their heart to their need for Christ. We thank you, Lord, as we know, even as Jesus preached and taught that we know Jesus is in all the scripture, and we pray this morning that we'll be able to see the gospel clearly even in this text we see today. We love you, we exalt you, and again, speak to us today through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, amen. Well, we do praise God for faithful uh, Christ followers like Pastor Han in the previous video that we saw uh, this morning, this pastor there in, uh, uh, in China who again faithfully served the Lord there and, uh, and also witnessing to, uh, to unbelievers in North Korea, these communist countries, and these and others all over the world who, like Paul and Barnabas, have risked their, risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, they do fa face a crisis of persecution, but I believe they would 
many say that they face an even greater crisis themselves, and that is uh, the crisis is of, of uh, not of death, but for the but for the, the uh, for the lostness in their family, in their uh, neighbors, in their nation, and in the nations. And, and that is the devastating crisis. I believe one of the greatest devastating crises we face today as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, for it is our joy and our responsibility to proclaim the gospel to unbelievers. Well, again, in this last chapter, uh, it in, the last chapter ended with King Ahasuerus having given full authorization to Haman to annihilate this entire people group. And again, not knowing that it was the Jewish people, and again, not knowing that that Queen Esther was uh, among them, that she too would be, this would apply to her as well. And then we ended the chapter there uh, afterwards with Ahasuerus and Haman sitting down casually for a drink. Uh, how like many today who treat life so cheaply, even in around the world today, some think, well, we're, we're more sophisticated than that. We know there are nations today that are eliminating uh, people groups and, and committing genocide among people like the Nuba people of Sudan or the Kurds in, in Syria. And again, um, the, we would think, oh, we're far beyond that in our own nation. But yes, uh, perhaps uh, developed nations like the U.S. Are, are just as callous and cold as, again, we daily and uh, murder unborn babies in their, in their own mother's womb. Well, this chapter shows the way Mordecai and Esther reacted or responded and dealt with this devastating crisis. We all face crises in our lives, some uh, more severe and more devastating than others. But again, I believe the way they dealt with this devastating crisis demonstrates and exemplifies for us both wrong ways to respond and right ways. So we're going to look at several of those this morning. So note these various alternatives uh, to how we deal with devastating crisis, crises in our lives. Notice the first one I believe we see here in verses 1 to 3 is that you can't lament over the crisis. And uh, we notice that when Mordecai had gotten this word about uh, this law having been passed, that would basically, again, annihilate uh, the entire uh, Jewish people. Um, he, again, in keeping with Mideastern culture of openness and expressing grief, uh, Mordecai tore his clothes, he put on uh, sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth, of course, was material that was made of goat's hair, and uh, we probably, most of us have never intentionally put on sackcloth. But we've all probably had a piece of clothing that was very itchy. Well, that's exactly what sackcloth was, and it, and for, and it was, perp it was that was its purpose. It was intended to demonstrate sadness and sorrow and mourning, and not only in its appearance, but even in its feeling. It reminded the people of their sorrow and of their mourning. So they would put on sackcloth. They would put ashes on their head. And anyone who saw them would immediately be aware that this is what they were doing, that they were grieving or mourning over something, perhaps the death of someone they loved, or, uh, or again, perhaps uh, something very serious. Again, a devastating crisis had occurred in their lives. And we see that Mordecai went out into the midst of the city, 
and he let out a a very uh, loud and bitter cry. Well, we see in this passage also that people were not allowed to enter into the king's gate wearing sackcloth and ashes. It was a part of the Persian culture as it had been among the Jewish people, but the king didn't allow this. You remember Mordecai now has a robe at the king's gate, perhaps an official position from the king, and he wasn't allowed to go to work that way. He couldn't enter into the king's gate. And, uh, and, and because why? Well, the king didn't want anybody around him that was sad. If you read about in Nehemiah, you remember that uh, Nehemiah was not allowed to look sad in the presence of the king. He served the king uh, at another p- point in history. And so he couldn't, he couldn't do that either. And uh, he didn't want anybody like that. It might cause suspicion that someone was trying to kill him. And so he, so he didn't want anyone looking sad. You remember the king had often had jesters but in his court, but he never had mourners in his court. He didn't want that. And so Mordecai didn't, so he, since he couldn't go in the gate, he stood then outside or, or, or was there outside the gate of, uh, of the king, and he continued his display of grief. Well, he obviously wanted to get Esther's attention since he didn't really have access to her. So this lament, as we read here, was going on everywhere. As the word was get out, the couriers would go to the various places of the kingdom. Remember, it was vast kingdom from Ethiopia to India. And as they would go into these cities and make this announcement about the, this decree that a, a year from now was going to take place where, where the Jews were going to be put to death, when the word got out and the Jewish people that are still present began to hear this, and there was this lament, there was this cry going on all over the kingdom. Now, no doubt, not only among the Jewish people, because I'm sure God had given favor to some of them. They no doubt had developed relationships and friendships among the Persian people. Well, this lament was appropriate, wasn't it? It was an appropriate thing. And, you know, lament is often mentioned in Scripture. Jonathan has taught us some things about that in one of our, uh, our nights of worship. We talked about the Psalms of Lament. There are a number of them. And there's even a book, the book of Lamentations. Perhaps the words from this book were used in their expressions of lament. For example, in Lamentations 3, listen to these words, verses 46 to 48. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Well, lamentation, again, was appropriate. And lamentation is appropriate for us today. It's a starting place. And so I would say to you, this was a a good way and a right way to respond to this devastating crisis that they were facing as the people of God. You know, as you read your Old Testament, one thing that you find is that the people of God often gathered for what they referred to as solemn assemblies or sacred assemblies. We recently, on Wednesday night, in our prayer time together, we went through the book of Joel and we saw that the the, the people of God were called together for a solemn assembly to cry out to God in their lament. And I want to say to you today that solemn assemblies... And lamentation is needed for today. We as God's people have much to lament over. Not again to stay in a state of sadness 
We are to rejoice in the Lord always, but we need to express our burden and we, don't, we need to cry out to God for revival and for, for, for lost people to come to faith in Christ, for our neighbors and for, our, for the nations. So again, you can lament over the crisis. That's the right response. But then the next one I want us to see is you can try to avoid facing the crisis. Now you might imagine that's not a good response and not a right response. I believe that's in a sense what, what was happening there in verse 4. When, uh, when we read about Esther, she was now hidden away in the palace. And uh, I probably don't need to remind you that there was no Fox News or Twitter or Facebook or email or cell phones in this day. So she, in, in her own little world, uh, was sort of cut off and unaware of what was going on uh, in, out, in the outside world. And she had not heard, no doubt, about this law that had been passed uh, by, uh, introduced by Haman and, and again uh, affirmed by her husband, King Ahasuerus. And uh, so, but she had heard, obviously some of her, the, her servants had come to her and let her know, the, the women who served her, the eunuchs who served her said, hey, Mordecai is out here in front of the king's gate. He has on sackcloth and ashes. He's weeping and wailing. He's lamenting. And uh, I, we just thought you want, would want to know about that. And so what is her response? Well, she was deeply distressed. She didn't really know what he was so disturbed about, but she loved him, and so she was concerned for him. Not only was she probably concerned, I, I know she was concerned about, uh, about whatever was concerning him, but she was also concerned about him displaying this grief and this sorrow and this mourning. Again, knowing he was not allowed to enter the king's gate, but also no doubt being concerned for his own, his own safety. Uh, so what did she do? Well, like any uh, good woman, she sent him some change of clothes, right? And, uh, you know, get out of those sackcloths, Mordecai. That's not safe. Well, what's going on here? Maybe she wanted him to be able to come to the king's gate so she could get more information, but she uh, wanted him to get out of that situation as well. And Mordecai refused the new clothes the change of clothing, and went on uh, mourning. Well, you know, again, I think one of the wrong ways that we sometimes respond to crises in our lives and to the, to the ultimate crisis that we face is that we, too, uh, try to avoid that. And we, too, try to put on a happy face. And we live in a day where there's so many different ways that people can try to overcome their sorrows. They uh, let, let me just... Uh, just watch some television. Let me watch some movies. Let me get on the internet. Let, let me do something to distract myself. Let me play a game. Let me do something to avoid having to face the crisis that is before me. And even as believers, we can do that in relationship to avoiding the crisis of, for example, today, people in, the, in other parts of the world that are suffering in prison, that are suffering tremendous persecution. So we'd prefer not to hear those kinds of sad things. We don't really want to hear about the multitudes of people that are facing eternity without Jesus who are going to an eternal hell. We don't really want to hear that. And so sometimes we just kind of want to be comforted and we want to overcome that and we want to mask that. We act as if though it is not our problem, but we too need to refuse to clothe ourselves in the world's pleasures. Don't just try to avoid facing the crisis. A third response, again another inappropriate response, is you can try to seek human help for the crisis. 
beginning there in verse 5, uh, that's, that's what we see happened with, um, with Mordecai. And since, since he couldn't come to meet her and they couldn't meet together, they began a series of back and uh, forth. She sent uh, her eunuch Hathak to, to find out the purpose for his mourning and why he wouldn't stop, why he wouldn't receive her uh, clothing to uh, take off the sackcloth and, and so forth. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we see Hathak here. If he'd been uh, keeping up with his steps this day, he would have certainly gotten in his 10,000 steps because uh, he's back and forth, back and forth, uh, trying to re- relay these messages between Mordecai and Esther. So, so again, when he got there, Mordecai told him all about Haman's plans, including the money that Haman had offered to finance the destruction of the Jewish people over the entire kingdom. He gave Hathak a copy of the, the, the decree, the law that had been given, had been declared by the king so that Esther could read it for herself and, and understand it. And then in verse 8, he also said, in essence, go tell her that I said to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. Well, this is sort of uh, reminds us that earlier we read that, that Esther continued to obey Mordecai just like she had when she was growing up in his home. And he was like her, in a sense, her adoptive dad. Well, so she sent this, this, uh, this command, in a sense. Tim Kaine in his Esther, Esther commentary indicates that normally the language used here was reserved for God, to beg God for mercy, to plead with God. And he says Mordecai still thinks he can get the Jews out of this situation on his own and at least for now is trusting in politics to save them. So again, Hathak runs back to, to Esther and tells her what Mordecai has said. Again, you think about this response this way of dealing with the crisis, how much like Mordecai we often are. You know, we want to try to fix things, don't we? We want to try to take it on ourselves. We want to try to be able to take care of this problem instead of turning to God. We, and we tend to think that prayer and seeking the face of God is the last resort when it should be for the believer our first response. How often are we guilty of doing this exact thing? I read just this morning. Did you read? Those of you reading the Bible through in two, we're reading this morning in Second Chronicles, and I was in Second Chronicles 17, and I read about Asa and how when Israel was coming against him, he sought help from the king of Syria. And they, he helped him out, and they overcame that crisis, but then God sent a prophet to him to say, Because you didn't seek me, but you sought human help, you're going to experience battles. You're going to experience trouble. And how often we are like Asa. We don't seek God's face. Uh, We seek everybody else's help before we seek God. But God, while God may use people, he must be the one whose face that we seek. The fourth way of dealing that I see in this passage is you can try to avoid taking risk in the crisis. You can try to avoid taking risk in the, in the crisis. In verses 10 through 12, and again, this is not the right response, not the one we should take. 
Uh, you know, Esther may have been surprised that, we, that, uh, that Mordecai was telling her to do this because after all, he is the one who has told her to tell no one that she's a Jew, to keep her identity a secret. So she had, she's done this. She's, and, and she's, uh, in essence, probably thinking, now Mordecai, you told me not to tell anyone that I was a Jew. I have blended in so well, uh, no one knows. I've just fit right in. I've compromised. I've blended in. But now you're wanting me to risk my life on behalf of the Jewish people. No, thank you. So she sent word back to Hathak as we read it here in verse 11. Again, she said, In verse 11, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king, into the king these 30 days. So she's saying, look, besides Mordecai, don't you realize there is this law? You can't just go pop in on the, the king. In fact, there's a law that has, been, that has been established that if you go in uninvited to the king, he can immediately and should immediately put you to death. The only exception is if he raises again the golden scepter and invites you into his presence. So, so she's saying in essence to him, Mordecai, this is too risky. It's too dangerous. I can't do this. And so Hathak went back to her, went back to, to Mordecai rather, and relayed Esther's decision to Mordecai. She's not going. It's final. The decision has been made. How often do we face situations in our life? We just think it's too risky. It's too dangerous. You know, many Christians today have an attitude of safety first. Safety first. You know, we've got to take care of ourselves. You know, God has given us a mind. Uh, we must take care of ourselves. So many people, therefore, do not take the risk. They don't take the risk to proclaim the gospel when they have opportunity. It could cause rejection. Why, it might even cause me to lose my job, or I could lose a promotion, or I may be put in a very difficult situation, an awkward situation. No, it's too dangerous. It's too risky. No, we're not going on that mission trip, Pastor. We can't do that. It's too, it's too dangerous. Why, we've heard of people being persecuted in that country, and you expect us to sign up and go over there and put our life on the, on the line and face dangerous and risky situations? No, it's, it's too risky. It's too dangerous. Well, folks, I just want to remind you, the Christian life and the Great Commission are risky, are risky. And again, be, before we're too critical of Esther, we must ask, what risk are we taking to obey Jesus' commands? Dowden, in his commentary, said, know that if you are delaying obedience out of fear, that is actually disobedience. So I challenge you to think about that today in your own life. Once again, avoid taking risk in the crisis is not the biblical response. But fifth, another response that is the right response, you can trust 
God's providence and then stand on behalf of those facing the crisis. We see this in verses 13 and 14. You see, Mordecai's only hope now is God. Well, in reality, God has always been Mordecai's only hope. God is our only hope, amen? This is not something new. And, 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 but thankfully, he's come to recognize this. And so instead of sending more persuasive arguments, notice what he says in verse 13. Again, he says, he, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. So in essence, he's saying you and your family are not safe just because you're the queen. And then verse 14, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In the clearest expression of faith thus far in the book of Esther, he acknowledges God's intervention and promise to protect his people. He's saying, in essence, God is going to deliver his people. He's promised to do that. He's going to do that, and he will do it with or without you. But could it be that this is why God has providentially placed you as the queen of Persia at this strategic moment in history? Well, we know the answer to this question, don't we? The answer is yes, this is the reason God has placed you where you are. This is the reason God has placed you here. You're not here, Esther. You're not here simply to satisfy the pleasures of the king. You're not here just to be beautiful and be the queen of Persia. You are here because God, in his providence, his unseen providential hand, has placed you here. And I believe he's saying, and God is saying to her, God has much bigger plans for you. This is your moment. This reminds us of Paul's words in Athens in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, where he says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. God has placed you right where you are, right at this moment, for this specific time, for you to fulfill God's purpose his purposes in your life. And dear friend, uh, Mordecai was not asking her to do something that, that he was unwilling to do. You see, because Mordecai, God has Mordecai right where he wants him as well. And he couldn't go before the king. So it was not that he was asking her to do something that he was unwilling to do, but he was, he was asking her to do something he could not do. But you see, God's purpose for him was to be in the place of influence. And so he was using the influence that God had given to him during this time. And we ought to ask ourselves again, are we using the influence uh, that we have to stand up for those who cannot speak for themselves? In his commentary, Derek Prime says, we should all ask, what work has God especially for me to do because he's allowed me to be alive at this particular time? In history, 
God is no less intentional with our lives than he was with Esther's and Mordecai's. Again, God will get his work done with or without us. But isn't it wonderful? Isn't it glorious that God allows us to be used in fulfilling his purposes and his plans? That we are ambassadors of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, dear friend, I pray you'll see as we're going to see Esther did, that God has placed you at this particular time, that God has a purpose and a plan for you as his child to accomplish his purpose and his will. He's brought you to the kingdom, his kingdom, for such a time as this. But I want you to see a final way that we are to deal with the devastating crisis that we face as well. You can fast and pray together then be ready to risk all for those facing the crisis. Again, in the final verses here, verses 15 and 17, Esther has heard Mordecai's challenge, and God God has obviously turned her heart. I don't know how long it was before she gave her answer. No doubt the Lord was working on her while while, uh, Hathak was running down to give the last message uh, to, uh, to, from Esther to Mordecai, but God, again, worked on her heart, turned her heart. And she begins to see her position as queen as God's providential assignment. And with courage and resolve, she now sends a command to Mordecai. Now she's giving the command, but after all, she is the queen. And we see in verse 16 where she says, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women also will fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So she calls for a three-day fast. And by the way, what is fasting? Fasting is a voluntary abstinence from food for a period of time for the purpose of giving yourself to prayer. And even though prayer is not mentioned here in this passage, prayer is, again, understood uh, as being the primary purpose of fasting. Fasting and prayer. It is mentioned this way at other times in Scripture when obviously it's understood that prayer is the vital role and part of our fasting experience. And in fasting, we are saying, and in praying, fasting and prayer, we're saying, God, we are desperate for you. We're not depending on ourselves or anyone else. And as our body right now is crying out, feed me, feed me, feed me, We're crying out to you, God, we are desperate for you. We need you. We're not depending on anyone but you. We're looking to you. And God, we're in a desperate situation and our hearts are desperate for you. We cry out to you. Well, fasting, as we said, in in times of crises in the Old Testament, very common. Read your Bible. It's there. Uh, We shared with you about Joel chapter 2. It was a regular practice of Old Testament saints, but when we come to the New Testament, it continues. Jesus taught us about that. We're going to be looking at that as we continue our study of the model prayer. 
And again, we read the, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13, uh, verses 2 and 3. We see that worshiping and fasting uh, together were a part of the church, not only individually, but even corporately. They fasted together. And so it's a biblical thing because, you see, we always have a crisis of one kind or another. Do you realize that? Uh, and, 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 and fasting also is a tool to help us realize that we do have a crisis. And uh, we have a crisis of lostness. We have a crisis of a lost world. We have a crisis in our nation, do we not, that needs to be prayed for? Do we want to see God move? Do we need spiritual awakening in our land? Uh, do we want to see, again, vast numbers of people across our world that are lost and headed for eternal hell? Do we not have great need? Do you not have needs in your family that need to be fasted and prayed over? I know I do in mine. Do we not have needs in our church? Do we not want to see God do a deep work of revitalization and revival in Lucy Baptist Church and in our sister churches? Of course we do. We have some devastating crises that we are facing that God alone is able to do. We can keep trying methodology. We can keep trying new ideas. Or we can just look to God and trust God and, and be desperate for Him and call out to God in fasting and in prayer and seeking His face. You may or may not be aware that we've set aside the first Thursday of every month as a day of fasting and prayer at Lucy Baptist Church. We have, next Wednesday, we have our, our prayer uh, meeting that we come together and gather together. And on the following Thursday, that next Thursday, this week, is our day of fasting and prayer. Have you participated in our day of fasting and prayer? We've asked people to take at least one meal out of that day and set that aside to fast and pray for God and the, the crisis that we face as a church and as a nation to give one or more meals and, do, and pray during that time uh, for God to move and, and, and to meet that need and work powerfully in, in us and through us. And folks, I want to ask you if you would consider, as we're thinking about this matter of prayer and fasting, will you commit to the Lord to fast during one or more meals, uh, fast and pray for the crisis we face as a church and a nation? This week, how timely, as we're talking about that now, that this week is the week we set that apart. So I challenge you uh, to prayerfully ask God. You say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, do you believe God will enable you? I believe he will. And I just want to challenge you to give that thought. And if you need more information about that and some help on that, we'd be happy to help provide that for you. So Esther says, I will go to the king, and though it is against the law, she said, and if I perish, I perish. So she is throwing herself on the mercy of God. She doesn't know whether the king will put her to death before breaking this law or whether he will in mercy hold out the golden scepter to indicate his invitation for her to come into his presence. She doesn't know. But she's decided that God and his people are worth the risk, worth taking the risk for. Well, we're not going to go into the rest of the story, but I'll go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. God answered prayer. Amen? God came through. He heard the desperate cry of his people. Do you think God would hear the desperate cry of his people today? Absolutely. What if across our nation, across our world, people began to pray and to fast and seek the face of God? I believe God, I believe that God will answer the prayers of his people. Well, folks, as we conclude this morning, I just want to remind you, our time 
is now. Your time is now. Yes, we face many devastating crises today. Again, approximately 4.5 billion people are lost without Christ, facing eternity in hell. Millions of babies are being aborted annually in our nation alone. Over 60 nations in our world are, are, have within those Christians who are being persecuted through rape, torture, family separation, imprisonment, slavery, discrimination, and death. Well, what can we do? And there are many other crises that I, crises that I haven't named. What can we do? Well, we can pray. We can pray and fast. We can give to ministries who minister to those in such crises crises as we have named. Thirdly, we can go to our neighbor and to, our, and to the nations to share the gospel and to serve uh, in getting the gospel out and meeting those needs. Would you respond to the Lord? Will you say, Lord, I recognize today that my time is now and I want to respond to you in obedience. Well, I want us to see as we close out this message this morning some gospel applications from this text. Notice, first of all, that the only way to God is through Jesus. You see, as we've pointed out in this text, it was impossible to enter into the, to the presence uh, of the king. But aren't you glad that in Christ we can come to God? As we saw over and over again in the book of Hebrews, we have access to Jesus we have access to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only do we have access to him in salvation, but we have continual access to him. Praise God that that is true. And that is how we come to him. The Bible says to begin with uh, through Christ. Jesus uh, says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Friend, if you're here and you've never repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way you can have access to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. By again, acknowledging your sinfulness, acknowledging your separation from Him, and coming to Him in repentance, turning from your sin in faith, trusting in Him, in Christ. And the Bible says through Jesus, you're able to have access to God now and for all eternity. And again, when we repent of our sin, we see that Jesus clothes us in his righteousness. Just as Esther tried to give uh, uh, Mordecai some uh, clothing to clothe him and to get him out of his, as the sackcloth and ashes, many people try to clothe themselves, even as Adam and Eve did in fig leaves, they try to clothe themselves in, in human righteousness. But the only kind of righteousness that God accepts is the righteousness of Christ. And when we repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus, he clothes us in his righteousness. And that is how we're made acceptable, not in our own works, not in our own efforts, but in Jesus and him alone. Notice also that Esther said, if I perish, I perish. Jesus didn't say, if I perish, if I die. Jesus said, I give myself I willingly lay down my life. Jesus did perish so that we don't have to. So that we don't have to be separated from God in eternal hell forever. That's what Jesus did for us. And he paid our debt in full. And finally again, we now have unlimited access into his presence through the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you availing yourself, child of God, 
of this wonderful privilege to walk in continual fellowship with the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.